we welcome in our 1320 Kings insider and creator of the Kings beat, uh, James Ham. James, how? <laughs> how did they? How, how was there such a dramatic role reversal over the course of the last couple of nights? How, James? I, I don't know because I I was watching that first half and um, you know we me and Sean Cunningham sit next to each other in the game and I was pretty disgusted. You know they fell down by nineteen and I thought, man, like those crowds have been absolutely incredible. And if they're gonna blow another game with a crowd like this again, last night was the second time, maybe third time in a row, maybe even fourth time in a row that they've had the largest crowd in Golden One Center history for a Kings game. Mm. Uh, so last night's was like seventeen thousand nine thirty-five or something. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest crowd ever, and not just a big crowd. A fully 100% engaged crowd that is waiting for their team to do something. And just like the murmur, the quietness and the murmur around the building of what is happening while they're playing so poorly, uh, it was really stunning. And, you know, like, I, I don't know what it is about this team, but like those flat first quarter starts where they just take their own fans out of it. And, you know, like part of it, I'll say it, like De'Aaron Fox has to be better in the first quarter. You know, we had him two nights ago have that monster dunk right in the beginning of the game. Then he didn't take another shot the rest of the quarter. And it kind of felt the same way. And uh, it, when they got the building rocking in the third quarter, I just thought it was it was incredible. Like that fourth quarter run where like the fans were on their feet the entire time. And then when Malik Monk steps to the free throw line late in the game hmm. and the entire place goes quiet. It was so incredibly remarkable. Like I just, it was like one of those games where you got goosebumps watching a game and and trying to cover it, just because the fans were just wild. I mean, that was like college basketball, uh, NBA, like deep playoffs. That's what that was. That was that was absolutely spectacular. You know, the crazy thing about um, Malik's free throws is you talked about how quiet they get. Sometimes I'm like, hey, just make a little murmur. <laughs> like, it's too quiet in here. This is because the, the, I say this all the time, man. The, the nerves are real. The nerves are there for a human being. I remember Dirk Nowitzki said it. He said, yeah, I get nervous at the line in moments like that. The greats, though, find a way to overcome the nervousness to knock down the free throw and, and get back to your routine. But it's human nature. Of course, you're going to get nervous. No big deal with that. And I felt the nervousness from my couch on those Malik Monk, Monk free throws and uh, luckily he got one of them for sure. Yeah, I think it's funny. Uh, Malik, first of all, said he thought that the first one was the best shot he took the whole night. It felt the purest. Yeah. And it clanged out, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And then De'Aaron Fox said he, he had such an interesting comment. He said, well, first of all, like I've known Malik for a long time. I knew there was no way he's going to miss two. Um, but he said even if he did, we would have got back and got the stop and we would have won it in overtime. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, like, who's that guy? <laughs> um, that was a confidence level that I was like, okay, I'm down with that. I mean, even their challenge on Jokic on the final play. I haven't seen the last two-minute report. Um, I, I'm sure Denver Nuggets fans aren't going to be happy with the last two-minute no. report because there's going to be a couple of things in there. Um, 
I, oh, I, I'm I didn't sorry. watch it back. Let's, but... let's run the reference back. Don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no one cares. Like, <laughs> no, don't don't talk to Kings fans about the last two-minute report. Because in full transparency here, maybe this is what you're talking about. It was a hook on Malik Monk. And I didn't think he got fouled by, uh, <laughs> by KCP. I thought KCP got all ball. Well, that play, but I also thought that Trey Lyles, when he dove back in oh, bounds. Oh, out of bounds, and- yeah. He was out of bounds, and he made that incredible play. It's almost like everyone forgot he had fallen down over there, and the Nuggets were, like, strolling over to grab the rebound, and then he dives out of nowhere, mm. bats a ball to Sabonis for a hammer. And even that play there, uh, like, I, I'm pretty sure he was out of bounds, uh, but it caught everybody off guard, including the officials, who didn't – I don't even think they, they saw it coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, Trey Lyles, again – like it's really hard when three guys score thirty points, right, for the Kings, and that's the first time since nineteen seventy nine. And it, you know, it's like it's crazy. It's like Otis Birdsong and uh, Phil Ford and uh, Wedman, Wedman. I think, yeah, Wedman. Yeah, something like that. Uh, that was the last time. Um, but Trey Lyles for the second straight game came up with so many huge dirty work plays. He hit the glass so hard late in the game. He had a big three. Like, they don't win that game without without Trey Lyles. And, you know, you can say that about Davion, too. I don't think they win that game without Davion. I don't think they win that game without Casey Akpala. Casey mm. uh, Akpala, like, I had yeah. people talking trash in my, my Twitter feed because I said, uh, this is how – I like how Jordy uh, Fernandez is using Casey Akpala – just very specifically and then he someone chimed in oh yeah they just gave up x amount of points and blah 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 and it's like man michael porter jr just disappeared he disappeared in that game and he was taken out of the game by casey akpala it was really impressive let me uh real quick name i want to ask you this james because i understand what you're saying about the beginning of the game and you guys can tell me if i'm wrong I watched the game and, and watched the beginning, and I'm like, you know, they're down 40 to 27, 24, I think, at the end of the first quarter. Is it crazy to think I didn't think they played bad? Like, I didn't think, like, the Kings were just fumbling the ball over the place, weren't playing well, defense. There was a couple of shots. You talk about Michael Porter. There was a couple of shots, one specifically, where Davion Mitchell was in his shorts. He was right on the right nice. side of, of Michael Porter Jr., and Michael Porter Jr. barely hit the net with – with the shot. I thought a lot of that was going on from that Denver team. The, in the first shots quarter. they got, though, particularly early, in my opinion, James, they were just so easy. It was just while the Kings were testing their, 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 their gamely ritual of testing if they can make their first seven threes, uh, the Nuggets were going inside every play, and they were getting shots, high percentage shots at the basket. And that's what kind of blew the score up. Maybe they weren't necessarily turning the ball over. Like, I don't know what you think, James. It just felt like the offense. They were shooting an absurd percentage for a large stretch of the first half. I think they ended the first half in the 60s, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly. There was one point where I I tweeted the Nuggets were shooting 74% in the second quarter, and the Kings were shooting 38 74 percent and so for me it it's not about the makes and the misses it's about the energy like there was no energy to start the game and I just really was surprised I you know again you have that many people in the building you know it's 
I, I don't know what it was. Like, if you're at the game, um, it's almost like the Kings were, like, almost caught off guard by how many people were there. And you got Jeff Green, old man Jeff Green, wandering around without a shirt on, looking like <laughs> J.R. Smith the entire pregame. And, Three like, steps. what are you doing? Like, the whole pregame, he wasn't playing. He's out with, like, a hand injury. And he's wandering around, you know, shooting and doing all this stuff without a shirt on. I'm thinking, for me, like, being – like I would be slightly self-conscious because there's, you know, tens of thousands of people in this building at this point, and uh, and that's why I kind of felt like the the Kings came out and just they were kind of awkward. They they weren't ready, and it was really difficult to watch. Um, and and I thought, man, here we go again. Like this is this is that game where you go from two games over five hundred down to one. And then you got a couple of really tough games coming up on the on the road trip, and uh, you know, like the the schedule is getting more difficult again. And um, like, are you going to fall below five hundred? And then mm. they step up and they they make this miraculous comeback. And and really, you know, I think if you want to sell tickets, um, like even we had this deal yesterday with Shaky in here talking trash about the Kings not. Uh, putting out their injury report about Sabonis because they're trying to sell tickets. But if you want to sell tickets, you don't leave 18,000 people like bummed out walking out the building. You just sold a whole bunch of tickets last night by the play in the fourth quarter, and it was wild. Don't worry about what we're doing over here, Mike Malone. Yeah, and, and, well, it's, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because I, I see <clears throat> Foxy Saboner. Uh, oh, saying okay, <laughs> well, that's it's the gentleman's screen. You, you could have called him FS. Well, it's his gentleman's screen name. Did Mike Malone take any shots at the Kings after the game? <laughs> to the contrary, I don't know what Mike did after the game, but James, you posted a video of Mike speaking very highly about Mike Brown, the coaching staff, and the Sacramento Kings fans. I think some people mistake, and James, you know far better than I do, mistake the shots that that uh, Mike Brown takes more specifically at the organization and perhaps most specifically at Uncle V, Vivek mm-hmm. Ranadive, and not at the city, the fans, or certainly this c- current group of individuals. James. Tyrese Malone. <laughs> no, I'll tell you that well, uh, Michael Malone, like, I, I'll, I'll tell you, like, one of those James stories. I, I talked to him maybe two months after he got fired. Uh, maybe a month and a half and things were going wrong just so you know like the the aftermath of the Michael Malone firing was disgusting it was one of the most horrific that's why I like I I hold grudges here and there when things are like very egregious and there was a moment where um, about a a month and a half in um, somebody decided to go out there and say that Michael Malone was insubordinate and that's why he was fired. And like, look, if you were around Michael Malone, Michael Malone is a passionate dude. He loves the game of basketball. He loved that job. He had earned that job. It took him years as an assistant to get that job. He was so excited to be the head coach and to have someone go out there and not just fire you when what they, he got fired. I think they're eleven and thirteen, and Demarcus Cousins had missed ten straight games with uh, with viral meningitis. And the last two games, he was cleared to play and could have played. And the the Kings brass held him out 
an additional two games to make sure that Michael Malone didn't have a 500 record mm-hmm. so they could fire him. And so to come back a month and a half later and have somebody start spreading a rumor that he was insubordinate and basically saying he's a bad employee and that he deserved to be fired while the Kings are spiraling out of control and in basketball hell was was horrific to to watch happen. And again, as someone who who shows up every day and has always been a good employee, no matter who I work for, I I felt that for him. And I had a conversation with him during that time. And uh, he told me, I, I asked him very specifically, like, you're watching this thing spin out. Like, what are your feelings? And he's like, I'm, I just feel so sad for my guys. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, those are my family. I feel so sad for what's happening at this point. And I said, would you come back if they called you today? And he goes, Hell, yes. If they called me today and tried to mend fences and said, come back, I would come back without any questions right now. Mm. And that's so Michael Malone loves the city of Sacramento. He loved his players that he had there. He loves people that worked for the organization there. He holds a very strong grudge against uh, Vivek Ranadive and uh, the way that things went down, the way he was handled on the way out the door. What, and with that, real quick, and this, there's no way to know. Nobody knows all this. You, you could tell me a little better. Isn't this more a Pete DeLisandro thing? Like Vivek catches the strays because he was the head mm-hmm. guy in charge. But from, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, Vivek was taking the lead of Pete and let Pete do what he wanted to do. I think you had a young owner. It was his first head coach. He hired his head coach before he hired hired his general manager, which was a big mistake. Um, and, and it was just the newness. You know, he had spent a lot of time at the Warriors practice facility and stuff and, and saw that Michael Malone was an up-and-coming coach that he wanted, and that's why he plucked Michael Malone. And that was his first, you know, order of business was to get Michael Malone locked in. And then he hired Pete Alessandro like two weeks later, but not just Pete. I mean, Chris Mullen as well. Like he deserves a lot of the blame. He kind of snuck out the door and didn't catch all the fury that, that Pete did afterwards. But I mean, he was a big part of what happened as well. Um, And I think like at that time, Vivek was kind of, he was talked into some things, but at the same time, like he made the decision. Like Mm -hmm. I, I wrote that article for ESPN where he, you know, I want to, I want a jazz band leader. I don't want to sue a marching band leader. And it's just like, it's something that like for the first eight years of his, uh, of his ownership has kind of been like his, his tombstone is that the jazz band leader and, and, and just hasn't worked out the way that they thought. Um, yeah, it was mistakes and it was mistakes by a lot of people. Um, but I think it was more a mistake of a young owner just, you know, making an egregious error. And how many times have I said this, but like a 16-year playoff drought, it doesn't happen because of one decision. It's not because they didn't draft Luka. Sure, the the playoff drought would have ended before, but it's decisions like, you know, the Michael Malone decision. It's decisions like the Dave Yeager decision. It's the bubble happens and Vlade gets fired and all the direction changes. All of these things add up to a 16-year playoff drought. And you can point to the Vlade thing uh, you, I mean, you can point to the, the Luca thing as one major incident, but you know Jeff Petrie drafted Jimmer Fredette instead of Kimba Walker instead of Clay Thompson. He, he drafted uh, Thomas Robinson instead of Damian Lillard, who went with the next pick. 
and they were drafting him the night before. They were drafting Lillard the night before. I knew that, and then they didn't. Um, you know, there are mistakes that have been made that that caused this thing to snowball. Steelo and, and Casey. Never know. Stilo and Casey and James Ham here on KIFM West Sacramento ninety eight point five FM Carex QHD two Sacramento ESPN thirteen twenty. Driven by Lashers, Elk Grove Dodge, always live on the free Odyssey app. Let's stick with coaches here, Hammer. How about the job Jordy Fernandez did last night? I thought he made some changes to what he did the night before. You talk about uh, young people in positions trying to figure things out. That's Jordy's, what, second full game as a head coach, third counting the you know the Mike Brown uh, ejection game. And I thought he had a really great feel for the game. Uh, and did a hell of a job in ensuring his team had the best chance to win. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how. That's like, I know the night before he ran out of timeouts really early, and it was probably something that he thought to himself, okay, I can't do that again. But in that fourth quarter, while things are going absolutely bonkers, and the crowd is like, you can just feel it, the whole building is alive. Like, how do you stay focused and in the moment when you've never done that before, when you've never been a head coach in a situation like that before? And, you know, he gave a lot of praise to the prep work that uh, Brown helped put in uh, before the game. He gave a lot of praise to his assistants for, like, keeping a calm head and feeding the right information at the right time and, like, helping him make substitutions and stuff. Um, But just a huge moment for Jordy. And I thought he was great in post game. He was really good in pregame too. You know, he's kind of settling in and figuring out, getting his sea legs. And uh, Mike Brown will probably be back. I don't know if he'll be back on Friday, but um, probably for the road trip. Uh, but in, in the meantime, Jordy's done a phenomenal job of keeping the team on the on its rails. I think he needs to figure out the same thing Mike does. How do you get that first quarter going early? Um, but outside of that, I, I thought, you know, he pushed all the right buttons and he took some risks with guys like Casey and and putting Davion in for long stretches and and going with Malik Monk way more than Mike Brown typically does and, and letting him snap out of his funk after, you know, like admitting the day before on Twitter that, you know, he had he needed to be better. Um, so, yeah, some really good moments for Jordy in that game. You know, we spent a lot of the time yesterday. Um, talking about De'Aaron Fox and the loss on Tuesday. And like I said earlier with Damian, maybe it came off like we were super critical of him. I think we all still said he had a good game, but we needed more. We expected more from him in that game. But he's still 26 points, 10 to 16 shooting. Uh, I think four assists. It was the untimely turnovers and things of that nature. But I say all that to say, we're going to talk about that. We got to talk about how I told Damian, Damn near, if not literally, a perfect fourth fourth quarter from De'Aaron Fox. He was amazing in that fourth quarter. He had all the big shots, made all the great decisions, and um, yeah, we need we need to spend the same time on on what De'Aaron did last night that we did when he didn't do it on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he had 15 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, him, Sabonis, Monk were so good. They scored all but two points of the, the Kings' fourth quarter, uh, 33 points. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, they were mm. absolutely spectacular as a trio. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing with Fox is not only he shot seven of eight in that fourth quarter from the field, uh, he was huge in the third quarter as well. But the thing that stood out to me was, what do you have, 13 assists? 13. Yeah, I mean, he needed a game like that where, 
like, look, it's one thing to, to, you know, step up, but you need to get your teammates involved. You need other people to, to feel like they're part of what's going on. He was huge in the, in the second quarter too. He had 14 points in the second. Um, but yeah, it's the assist, man. Like in a game like that, um, you got it. The ball needs to be hopping. And I thought he was so good at breaking down the defense, finding the right guy. I thought he was really good defensively, uh, you know, just making them work. Uh, yeah, it, it was a good night for him. I didn't notice this earlier looking at the, the fourth quarter stat sheet, but it's Davion's the only player. He hit, he hit the one basket. Yeah. He's the only player besides Malik. Uh, Domas and De'Aaron to score in the fourth. That's crazy. Everything yeah, else was, went to those two guys. Or those three guys, it was, excuse me. The end of the shot clock, too, I believe. It was like a high-arcing jumper that he hit. <laughs> yeah, it was a little pump fake in the, in the from three. Pump fake, got the guy up, and one dribble pull-up on him. And that was it. Any, yeah, and that, that was on a shot clock situation. Like, mm-hmm. the, the clock was winding down. Any, I mean, you, you, you get the win. That's the number one thing any concerns about the lack of production from the other three starters last night yeah i I mean maybe a little bit um they they just have to hit their shots and i think they had them like that that was the thing i was wondering like did they just not get the shots with the other three like those they they had their looks they just it just wasn't their night I guess. Yeah, my concern too was um, what did I, I think I tweet, they were six of twenty from the field, um, but my my bigger concern was that they only had six combined rebounds, mm. and we're talking about a two, a three, and a four, and that's that's that can't happen. Especially Sabonis only had ten rebounds. He's in there battling, you know, one of the great players in the league right now, going toe to toe. You needed a little bit more, but. Those guys did help out defensively. I thought Herder was active, uh, had a couple of steals. Um, you, I mean, there were some pluses for those guys, but somebody, I, I would have liked to have seen someone else step up. And they rode the hot hands. So I guess you could put that too, that, you know, when you have three guys score 30 points, uh, you know, between the three of them, would they score 95? Yeah. There's not going to be a lot of a lot of opportunity for other people. Um, but the opportunities they did have, they they didn't hit. Um, yeah, they, and you know, I'll say this too: like Kevin Herter is sneaky good on defense. He has moments every once in a while where he gets blown by or something. But and I think he's done a really good job overall. I, he's a huge upgrade over what they had at the shooting guard position defensively last year. Kings win that game if Davion Mitchell isn't on the floor. Probably not. Like, he had some moments. I know De'Aaron Fox made a concerted effort to give him praise after the game and said that he completely changed. Uh, he's one of the few players in the league that can change the game on the defensive side. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I think him. I think Trey Lyles. I think Casey Akpala. You take any one of those three off and you don't get the productivity that you got from them, and you probably lose that game. Hammer, thanks for all your incredible work uh, in the year of – 2022 uh it's 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 been a blast watching the king's beat blow up the way that it has and uh, obviously it's a it's a pleasure to have you such a a, a, a cornerstone of of everything we do here at at espn 1320 and uh thanks for joining us on a on a, on a thursday here so uh you've got more work to do over at the king's beat and uh we're looking forward to seeing you next week james hey Hammer. happy new year's guys